Outside the Tank is not affiliated with Shark Tank. Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. (laughs) I'm Tom. I'm Joe. (laughs) So... If you're watching this on our YouTube channel, you would see us right now. Uh, Joe Joe came in wearing some ugly shirt, a t-shirt today. It's Friday. It's before a holiday weekend. No big deal. Uh, and then he's like, oh, I forgot we had to film. And I looked a little bit nicer. So in the corner of our office, I found this gag t-shirt that he gave to me. Pretended it was a gift, but really he found it in his garage as he was cleaning it out. If you're watching, this looks exactly like Tom's dog. And we're not sure Tom even likes his dog. Well, it's not my dog. It's my wife's dog. (laughs) So we're both wearing ugly T-shirts. We look like complete idiots. Freaky T-shirt Friday. Okay. Yeah, we're we're doing it to boost morale around here. And God knows we need it. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So let's get down to business. Elena, Mama's Milk Box. Yes. Season 8, episode 13, January 13th, 2017. She goes in asking $200,000 for 20%. Mama's Milk Box is a nursing apparel subscription. So many of you have or have heard of different subscription boxes. Stitch Fix. Yes, where they send you stuff every single month. And this particular product was $29.99 for a monthly subscription box, again, of nursing apparel. So um, 83,000 of sales in 2016, or the year prior to the the show, and then she said she was trending upwards in year two, which is when this aired. Uh, Had taken out a $40,000 line of credit, and then had 27,000 on credit cards, but bootstrapping this and hustling, and we like those that hustle. Yeah, she's a very, very smart lady. She's become a great entrepreneur and she helps a lot of other uh, people as well. But it was a painful experience. I think we laughed uh, off camera, offline. It was kind of a painful experience because at one point she didn't know her uh, cost of goods sold. And I think a couple of sharks took uh, umbrage to that. And uh, she did not get a deal. Every shark went out for different reasons. Uh, But no reflection on Elena. Uh, she is a great entrepreneur. She's learned a lot. And so, Yeah, we, we learned a lot from this interview as well. We have a lot of great notes from it. So let's go check out the interview with Elena. And then afterwards, we'll be back with our post game where we break down some great lessons we learned from the entrepreneur that joined us. And we'll still be wearing these T-shirts because I have nothing to change into. Yeah, and <laughs> we, may be, we may be wearing these on the next two episodes as well, but we're going to record after this. All right, we'll see you soon. All right, we're here with Elena Petzold, who uh, was on season eight, episode 13, air date of uh, January 13th, 2017, founder of Mama's Milk Box. Elena, welcome to the show. 
Thanks for having me. So let's start at the beginning. Where did the idea for the business come from? Uh, it always it always goes back to that. It was, you know, I didn't think I was going to be a nursing apparel subscription service. Uh, I'm in Pittsburgh, and when here in Pittsburgh, we really don't have great maternity and nursing fashion. So originally, I thought I was just going to open a maternity and nursing boutique. Um, I was pregnant with my second child, though, and I was having some pregnancy complications. And so all the inventory was coming in for the store. I was getting ready to sign the lease. And then my husband said, you know, what are you going to do if they put you on bed rest with the store? I said, well, that's a really good question. I didn't think about that because I just kind of assumed everything would be fine. I had a great first pregnancy. Um, so I delayed the store opening. I was like, you know what? I'm going to hold on to it for six months. We'll, we'll do the lease after the baby's born and everything's okay. But then I had all this inventory and we had all these moms who were so excited for the opening that what I started to do was private appointments. I said, you know what? Don't worry about the store. You know, they were contacting me like your store was supposed to open in January. I need this stuff. What am I going to do? And I said, you know what? Just come to my house. We'll check out stuff in your size. Like, you know, I was trying to kind of just help them. But then on top of it, I had all these clothes. Um, so this private appointment model was actually really successful. Um, and the word of mouth was like a fire here in the South Hills. I had multiple clients every week and it was great because I could take the baby with me. Um, kids would come to the appointments and I had a little play space for them while the moms were shopping. And through that, one of the, my clients, she was an amazing client. She would tell so many friends. She said, you know, I was talking about your business and your business model and you know, there should be something like this, like a private set up an appointment only has your sizing. Um, cause she's in Chicago and there's no one. And I didn't even think like, Oh, the private maternity nursing appointment style. I was basically just, again, trying to fill that need. And I felt terrible. Like to me, I was so passionate about these amazing breastfeeding clothes. I'm like, well, this is ridiculous. I'll just put together a box for her. So I said, you know, tell her to give me a call. I'll do a little style profile for her and I'll put together some things and then she'll just have to pay for shipping one way and the other. And, you know, we'll see what we can find. And that's kind of where it started because that mom in Chicago got the box of breastfeeding clothes and she was in a breastfeeding group and she brought it to the breastfeeding group. And then from the group, I got three moms who called me. And then from there was kind of when I was like, Oh my goodness, this might be a thing. Like I'm onto something. So. That, and that was how it started. And then how long was it of you doing that, you know, starting to really figure out that you could ship things before you ended up on the show? And, and how did you end up on the show? Did you seek out them? Did they seek out you? You know, um, no. So this is a, the, how I wound up on the show is always a fascinating story. And I do believe actually, I do, I talk, I actually do talk a lot to entrepreneurs too about, um, qualities of an entrepreneur. And I really do think that one of the qualities is you have to believe in a certain amount of fate. Um, so it's interesting because I do think I was destined to be on the show, although the timing and how it happened also wasn't like that. And I never really sought it out. But what happened was I was in New York for a buying appointment for some of our inventory for some season. And I was walking down the street doo -doo -doo, and who should come out in a big, bright yellow coat, but Barbara Corcoran. And I was like, I, I'm such a dork. I'm a business dork. Like, to, like you know, as celebrities don't like mean anything to me. Like I could see an actor. I'm like, who is that? But I'm like, Oprah, you know, like give me some like amazing like business person. And I'm just in awe. So 
I feel like such a dork when I think about it, but I was like, Barbara, you know, and she kind of turned around and I was like, oh my gosh, it is Barbara Corcoran, you know, and she was very, very kind. She said, you know, I said, oh my gosh, can I take a selfie with you? I mean, it was like total dork moment. <laughs> um, and she was like, yeah, you know, I'm just getting a cab, you know, until the cab gets here. So I got a quick picture and I said to her, I watch your show and I just started a business. I'm really excited about it. And she said, well, I hope to see you on Shark Tank someday. And I thought, oh, that would be so fun. And then, you know, she took off. I was so mad. I was like, oh, I should have offered to like pay for her cab if I could just sit in the car with her. <laughs> and then maybe I could have like figured out like how I could get on the show. So I, and I missed my bus. So I was supposed to go from Manhattan to Staten Island and I missed my bus. And I'm so I'm in the freezing cold on the bus line. I'm like, you know what? Why is, you know, what's Barbara doing here anyway? And I look on the Facebook account and it said, um, she had advertised, she said there's an open casting call in New York tomorrow. So I was actually supposed to leave New York the following day and come back. Um, but when I saw that open casting call, I was like, all right, I see the sign, you know, like I'm like telling the universe, I'm like, I see it. You put Barbara in front of me. I just saw that there was an open casting call. Like I should go to this. So I called my husband and I said, you know, I got to stay in New York another day. Are you going to be okay? You know, are the kids okay? He said, yes. My mom watched the kids that I had with me. Don't mind my dog. As you can tell, he's very. <laughs> Love the dog. Not... Love the prop. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, who are you talking to? Um, okay. Thank you. No more. So, yeah. So I went to the open casting call the following day, which was fascinating in and of itself. I had never done a casting call for a show. Um, it was super crazy. And I had wrote this, I, I used to have a blog back when we had the business on the website, I had the blog and I wrote a huge blog post about it because there was a certain amount of pitching that was guaranteed here. You guys see, you want to see the doggy? Rocky. There you go. Hey, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like some kind of black lab mix or something. He's a, he's a German shepherd. He's German shepherd. He's still a puppy though. <laughs> Um, so anyway, the, there was a certain amount that was guaranteed if you were there by a certain time. And it was, a, it was a large amount. So I was thinking, so long as I got there early at like five or six in the morning, you know, I was guaranteed a time slot, but people were crazy. So you're, so we were on one side of the street and they came out and they're like, you know, you're all blocking the sideway and you're here before the permit. So you got to go to the other side of the street. So people who are like all lining up and trying to keep it orderly run to the other side of the street. And then they tell us, you know, at like seven o'clock in the morning, you can run back to the other side or something. So everyone's like on their watch. And of course, at least one person probably like took off at 658 or 659 or something like that. But then everybody runs back across the street and they're all putting like their hands on the wall and elbows are out and people were acting crazy. Like, and, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, oh my gosh, what did I sign myself up for? You know? Um, and it was generally orderly after about a half hour. Cause then they came out and they realized people were starting to go crazy. Some people were trying to cut, let's get the line. But then you're in this line and there are some people who are excited to talk about their product. And so it's really exciting to be amongst a bunch of entrepreneurs, but then you got some, some people who are like, I can't talk to you about anything. You know, my idea is like the best idea and like, I gotta get trademarked and like all this stuff. So it's just like a really interesting um, dynamic to be on. It was, it's fun too. Cause by the end of the day, you know, you're equally invested in the people who wanted to share the stories. 
like, like I remember there was one guy and I think about him every now and then. And he had a, a real specific idea for how to make helmets safer for the NFL. And he and I were together for a long time in line and we got to talk and um, I always think about him. He was a great guy. So anyway, and then you get a number and then whatever. I wandered around the city for like five hours until my call time came back and then you come back and whatever. So, so anyway, so I interviewed for that. They invited me to pitch further. I got pushed down the, the line. Um, I sent in a video. My video was terrible. I knew it was terrible. I kind of had this feeling it was terrible, but I'm like, you know, I did my best and whatever will be, will be, if, you know, if the universe is, met, you know, wants it for me, then that, that'll be. And then nothing for a long time. <laughs> so no big deal. I was like, you know, just keep growing the business and work and take care of the kids. And so that's what I did. Um, and what's really funny was my video that was so terrible. I had my baby on my hip for it. She was still really little and she was like crying through most of the video. So I knew it was, a, like I said, a terrible video. But what happened was they called me back mm, like a year later, maybe they sent me a message and they were like, you know, we're coming up with a new TV show and it's for, it's for single working moms. And I was like, did I tell them like I'm single in this video? Like what, what did this video look like? Um, and, you know, they said, you know, based on your video that you had sent in, like we thought it might be a good fit. And, but to me, I was like, here we go. This is where we're, this is where the opportunity is. And this is where it's supposed to be. And this is where it's supposed to happen. So I just kind of came back in and said, you know, unfortunately I'm not a good fit for that because I'm happily married and, you know, not a single mom business owner as you're looking for. But I said, you know, my business has grown. It was, the numbers were astronomical. It was something like 300%. I said, you know, I really need investors. If you would reconsider me for Shark Tank, I would really appreciate it. And then that kind of got me back into it. And so, so. At, at time of airing, I think you were uh, you were closing in on uh, 100,000 in sales year to date on your way to uh, projected 200,000. Is that correct? You know, the statistics are so long ago for me, I don't remember, but we were right under 300,000 per year when I closed the business. Gotcha. So, and so while I don't remember the year over year type of stuff, I do know I was always so proud of our stats. They always blew me away. Like I, even when I set goals for our growth, we always came over, um, which was, just, it's really exciting. Like we had a bell and anytime we would reach different milestones, we would ring the bell. And at some point we kind of felt like we were ringing this bell all the time, but you know, it was nice. So, you know, we've interviewed so many uh, entrepreneurs that appeared uh, on the show. Some of them could remember every moment of their presentation uh, that was taped. Some say I just blacked out. Share with us what you remember about your appearance on the Shark Tank, what you were feeling, what was being said, how long you were up there. What do you remember of it? I'm, I'm in between that, like, you kind of don't know what's going on, and then you kind of remember bits and pieces. Um, like I remember that morning I got up really early and I ran five miles because I was so nervous that I was like, I'm going to vomit, you know? And so I got up and I just, and that's kind of like, if I, if I was on like real, real big, I always run. I do my best thinking when I run, I calm down and I run. So I just went and I ran and I ran and I ran until I felt like I wasn't going to throw up anymore. Um, I remember like, 
I don't know. It's just, you know, it was, and it was so new. I don't know how long I was in there. Um, people told me I was in there for a really long time. Like when I was done, I definitely remember being like, oh my God, what time is it? Um, I was like, I was, and then I was like starving and all I wanted to do was like eat because the whole thing wasn't an eat great all day either. Cause you're like, oh my God, if I eat and what if I have a stomach issue and like, I don't want to be in the middle of filming and you know, you, and you have all these thoughts, like what if I like for, you know, like, it's just, I had never been on TV before. I had never done any kind of film experience. So it was all just so, so new. Um, and it was just really like, for me, it was really exciting. Like I love learning and a lot of it was just the learning process for me and seeing kind of everything behind what goes into television. So on a personal level, I like that. And then, um, like, I kind of remember, hmm. I'm trying to think like I kind of remember bits and pieces of like when they got the boxes I kind of remember most of my pitch you definitely don't remember like all of the back and forth because there's so much communication um I definitely remember missing Damien like I want it like you know when sometimes when you're leading up to it people think like well who is like your dream shark or whatever and for a lot of reasons I thought he if that would have been like my business partner who would have both aligned with kind of what I was looking for in an investor with his retail experience. And then also just from a personality perspective. So I was a little disappointed that um, he wasn't on my panel. Any, any regrets in terms of the way the pitch went, how you structured it? Was there anything you would do differently? No. Definitely not. I had, you know, my, I know my pitch was solid um, because what I did too, leading up to it, you know, I always say success is preparation, meaning opportunity. So in my office, because, you know, again, I was so nervous leading up to it. I had all five, I like printed their headshots and I put them on my wall. And so every morning when I came to work, you know, I would come in and say, you know, hey, Mr. Wonderful, hi, Mark, hi, you know, hi, Lori. And I would just kind of address it and I would practice my pitch and, you know, and then I would sit and do my work for the day. And uh, yeah, so by the time that came, I, I was solid on, you know, what our quick pitch was. So I felt really, really good about that. So the show airs January 2017. What are those first couple days like after airing for you and for the business? Um, yeah, so if I just want to I just want to point out it aired on Friday the 13th. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I kind of believe in signs, you know, and so when I got the notice that it was coming out on Friday the 13th, I was like, oh, are you kidding me? You know, like, couldn't we have gone like January 20th or something. Um, so it came out, we had a big viewing party and ironically the most that came after it was what I would almost call PR crisis management and also then just the extreme growth and handling the operations from it. So we were, we were, and we were kind of prepared on both ends. Um, but like the internet is a cesspool. Um, and it's gotten way worse. Like I'm very, very fortunate. And I feel very happy that my appearance on that show happened at the time that it did, um, before kind of the way the state of the world is now, but like, cause even that same night, so we had Jamie, she was our marketing assistant. She was like monitoring all the social media platforms 
even at the viewing party, like as it was real time, just trying to make sure, you know, what's going on and what are they saying about the business? Um, and people came in right away, dropping one star comments on our Facebook account, which was really stressful because we had amazing five star reviews and we didn't want, you know, the service to suffer. So that was a challenge for a long time. Um, and like some, like some of those got me really mad. Like, like one guy posted a comment and said, uh, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself. I mean, you know, looking like some college kid and, and, and I can't, and, and some of them, I, I didn't really say anything, but like that one just got me really mad. So I came back at him and I said, you know, like the only person who's ashamed of themselves right now is your mom. Like if she found out you're in school and you're trolling like women on Facebook on a Friday night, like I would be so disappointed in you, you know, like do you have nothing else better to do than, you know, new moms trying to start a business? Like go to a bar, you know, and he wind up deleting his comment. Um, but that was really stressful to kind of manage that because we didn't want the service to suffer. And that was, and we had a lot of new clients. Um, we almost like doubled. It was insane. And that was actually my greatest fear before I left. Um, I, I have an amazing mom and before I left for the airport, I said to her, you know, what if I go and I don't get a deal and then we get all this publicity, like, because half of the reason I was going was because we were already growing so much and we didn't have the technology. And what I was really hoping for was an investment for the technology. And we were like, we had, a, we were doing everything by hand. It was so stressful. So I said, the worst thing I think that could happen is, you know, it's out there what we do, but then we still don't have the technology. What am I going to do? And my mom was really great. And she just kind of looked at me and she said, you know, you're going to do what you always done, which is you'll figure it out. And so I was kind of like, well, it's not the greatest answer, but you know, I guess she's right. And that is a lot of what being an entrepreneur is, is kind of sometimes going and just, you know, hitting it as it comes up. And so when it happened, I was a little nervous about it, but it wound up working itself out too, because we had enough inventory staggered in the way that we need it. Um, we did like, we did get a lot of, we were behind by like two to three weeks but I swear we had the best customers. And so even just being so transparent with them and saying, you know, we have a huge influx of subscribers. Um, this affects kind of our flow and operations. We're going to be about a week or two weeks behind your, you know, normally occurring shipment or whatever. And they actually came back and they were like, we don't care. Like, we're proud of you. Like bring mama's milk box to everyone, you know? So, so it was good because we didn't really have to disappoint them or anything like that. Um, and once we got it all back out, it was great. So, you know, we got all the shipments caught up. We had the new customers. It was great. It was okay. busy. We're, we're going to ask you about where the business went and what the rest of the story was at a moment. But full disclosure, for about two and a half years, I was in the clothing manufacturing business at right at the end of the 1980s, beginning of 1990s. And my inability to handle, really understand uh, inventory control and cash flow control wound up sinking our business, but I'm very interested in what happened to the business, where it went and why it went that direction. Well, and I'll tell you one thing. So I'm really, when I say I'm really proud of our stats, when we were done, we were averaging a 30% net margin, which was huge in retail. That's fantastic. Yeah. Which is why I was so upset when we were never able to get investors because I'm like, girl, this is, these numbers are amazing. And we had 0% shrinkage. But it was also because we did everything by hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah, so the 
business went south because we were still growing, growing, growing. And I was at that crossroads of, do I self-invest? Because so before I even went on Shark Tank, when I realized we were growing, I was looking for investors. Once I knew we were going to be on it, I was still looking for investors. And I knew it didn't pan out. I was still looking for investors. Once it came out, I was still looking for investors and using the fact that we had the publicity for it to, you know, as another, you know, unique value proposition to why we would be a good company. Like we already have millions of dollars of advertising, you know, on this company and they'll keep airing it. Like this, this is a great company to invest in. I do think um, it was never able to get an invest because I, you know, you spent a long time after the fact thinking about it, you take it as a case study. I do think we were never able to get an investor because of the audience. I think the breastfeeding market is just so small in the United States that people want those exponential returns. And I'm more of, I, I call it an LL Bean woman. I love companies and policies. I do case studies all the time. LL Bean, you know, when they were founded, one of their guiding principles was um, reasonable profit. So I wanted to make a quality product with reasonable profit, reasonable profit. And that's how I felt even when I grew mama's milk box. We didn't want to gouge the women. A lot of our women were working from home or staying home or were in that time period where, you know, the double income was on pause. So I tried really hard to kind of keep that as a guiding principle. But when you're looking for investors, they want tenfold, 20fold. They want big numbers. And that market, even though it was growing, and I think it's still growing, it was so small. It just wasn't something that they were interested in. So I, mean, I got to that point, And actually, I thought about bringing the book. I didn't get the book. It's in my library. But I was reading this book at, actually, no, I wasn't even reading it. It came out years later. But I read it afterwards. And I was like, yes, this, this moment. So I got to that crossroads where you say, okay, am I going to self-invest or am I going to close? And we, you know, and I had already... And, and I had gotten some startup money. We had paid it back. We had loans. We had paid it back. We were in great position, but we needed at least $60,000 to get to that, like get through it. And so I had a solid four days probably saying, you know, how important is it to me that this company succeed, that this company continue? Does it have to be this? Um, I also think, you know, I, I, Oh God, I coach so many people never invest more than you're willing to lose. And so that was the key question for me. And I thought if I lost $60,000 on this, how would I feel about that? And I didn't feel good about that. I said, you know what, you, you know, you're not so, I mean, I don't think anybody, if you're an entrepreneur, you can never be more in love with your product that you can't think straight, you know? So I said, you know, there'll be other ideas. There'll be other things. Maybe your skill set can be applied in a bigger way. You know, it's great if you, like, I was very invested in the breastfeeding market, but I'm like, you know, maybe I can do a lot of what I do here and just bring it bigger or somewhere else. So it was really hard, but that was the moment that I was like, okay, it's time to wind down operations. And that was tough for the, a lot of the customers too. When you look at the, you know, that last year of the business, are there things that you would do dramatically different? Or do you think that the model, just the way it was, the audience it was for, just wasn't able to scale? So was it the structure of the business or was it more 
it just wasn't the right business to really scale and grow long term? Um, so there's a few things. I think f- when I've thought back on it, because I do from time to time, especially when I'm running, I think if I knew it was going to be a startup and I started with that in mind and maybe I had investors even before the business had scaled, that might have produced a different outcome. The second thing was, I know for a fact, I felt really good about giving as much to it as I could because I even like the dream was to even just have someone take it over. Um, and maybe they wanted to invest the money into it. And I reached out to Katrina Lake of Stitch Fix at the time. And Stitch Fix was also fairly new at the time. People would say all the time when they, when, and I, I hated that pitch. So I, I never wanted to use it because I didn't want to, you know, piggyback on her success, but they'd always say, oh, it's like Stitch Fix for breastfeeding moms. Like we got that all the time. So I had reached out to her and said, you know, this, I can't take this business any further, but basically you already have the proprietary software that we need to be successful. Is there any, like, I was almost even willing to give it to her. Like, I was just kind of like, cause I, I wanted to succeed for the customers, especially, but she was really sweet. And, you know, she replied and said, unfortunately, we can't take this on. It was right at the time that they started plus and men's. And she said, you know, we just don't have capacity to add this into the business plan. So I know that I at least tried um, and I, th- I think it could have been successful there. There's other businesses that tried to do it. I think that the key to success for it was the understanding, um, sizing of clothes, which is unique to women's clothing. I mean, you'll understand it if you were in retail, just, you know, I'm calling this a small, but it really fits an extra, extra small, or I'm calling this a large and it. So, and we were really good at that. Um, and I used to tell our customers all the time too, like, these tags are bullshit. If I can just cut them off, I, I never want a woman to look at a piece of fabric and, you know, think of herself as fitting into a box like that, especially new moms. So anyway, I do think it could have been successful, but it needed more of that. And it needed someone who was willing to, you know, maybe if I put the 60,000, it would have kept going. It's just, that wasn't a gamble. I was, you know, and I'm a betting woman, but that wasn't a gamble I was willing to take. That was, that was a little above my threshold. I'm going to ask you a personal question. What was your husband's perspective on this? Was he in one camp or the other? Or was he uh, giving you a lot of space to make the decision yourself? My husband was thrilled when I closed the business. <laughs> I, I always say, I actually, and you guys should know this. I do think there should be a book for people married to entrepreneurs, or at least a support group for people married to <laughs> entrepreneurs. Um, because you know, we're always, we always, if you're a lifelong, it's in your heart entrepreneur, it's not something that's fleeting. And so there's always an idea or there's always something, you know, um, and, and while I love my husband, he actually never thought I would make it too, which was, it's so funny. It's, we joke around about it now, but you know, at one point in time he was like, Alina, do you know how hard it is to like get on Shark Tank? Like, cause I was like bummed that I hadn't got called back that first time, you know? And he's like, you're never going to make it on Shark Tank. Like, let's be realistic. And I was just like, challenge accepted. Like, excuse me, you know, like you just told me. So, um, so we laugh about it now, you know, cause, because it is, I'm like, you know what, every now and then I'm like, do you remember that time that you said it was going to be really hard? Well, it's harder to get on Shark Tank than it is to get into Harvard. And I did it. So, you know, so we kind of laugh about it now. 
what are the what are the key takeaways or lessons that you can impart and have been sharing with entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs? For which part the the being because I think it's you know is the goal to be on TV? If the goal is be on TV, that's not you know. No, no. I just I mean, if someone comes to you and says, "Look, I I want to start a business, or I've got a business, and I don't know how much of my own money to put in." Tell me about what you learned from your experience that you could tell your early entrepreneurial self. Um, well, most people, because I actually do, and I, I wind up consulting for a long period of time because so many, this is really funny, so many people approached me, particularly when I was with my children at the playground, and it was starting to, I don't want to be rude about it, but irritate me because I was kind of like, hey, I'm with my kids. I don't want to work right now. So what I started to do is tell people, oh, I'm consulting for this right now, actually. If you want to set up a time to meet, here's my fees. And I did it thinking like, this will just, people won't bother me. Oh, well, they bothered me and they paid. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that was something I wasn't expecting. Um, for most of them, it's always the same thing. It's okay, what's the business plan? And most people really don't have one. And I'm like, listen, the best way to evaluate whether or not this is worth your time is you have to take the time to write up the business plan. What is the business idea? Where is it going? How are you going to fund it? What does it actually cost to run your business? A lot of people don't realize the expenses associated with it. And that's what I did do that for my business. So when I started, even when I was at the store, I had a really well fleshed out business plan. Of course, it changed along the way, but it, that always, if you don't start with that, then you really, it's like, I always say it's like throwing spaghetti at the wall and hope someone's going to stick. It's just not really a good method. So what's next for you? What's keeping you busy? What does the, the future hold? Mm, what does the future hold? Nah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm still really busy. I'm the uh, chief marketing officer at a home construction and renovation company, which I love. And I was the chief marketing officer at a law firm right before this too. So, you know, I like working. I always, and I always tell people that too. I'm like, you know, I don't know why women are so afraid. We like making money. I like making money just like the rest of them, you know? So that keeps me really busy. I love marketing. It's always been my jam. Um, and just kind of staying in the course. Is there, is there another business idea that's floating through your mind? There's always an idea. Now, um, yeah, I don't know. There's always an idea. But like I said, I really like helping people. And so I, I really enjoy to working with other people through their businesses right now. There's a lot of stress that comes with your own business. And I definitely um, was not sad to see that go when I closed the business, um, even through the pandemic. Like, it was really weird. But last year, at some point in time, I was like, I am so glad I don't have that business. You know, like, Oh, I remember what it was. It was um, Rent the Runway. And they were getting all this like negative PR with the, the rate of the workers and the clothes and how they were being cleaned. And we're, we were really similar. You know, I mean, you would keep the clothes, but if somebody tried it on and shipped it back and I was like, oh my, you know, and it was again, the same thing where I'm like thanking the universe that it didn't work out. I'm like, you know, it really worked out in my favor that this was not, you know, the beast that I was dealing with at the time, because that was the stress of that would have been ungodly. So yeah. So just keep on keeping and staying healthy and helping people and 
Well, there's going to be another idea. There's going to be another uh, business. I, I just know that listening to you and, and knowing what's inside of your head. And I think you've done a great job through this process and this journey of recognizing where you were at and why you were there. So this has been a great interview. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, and before I forget, yeah. So the book I read too, it's called the J curve startup and it's amazing. And I, and it only came out, I think in like 2018 or 2019, but I was reading it and it talks about the emotional journey of being an entrepreneur. And when I read it, I was like, Oh, you know, if only this book was something that I could have read at my start, I thought it would have been invaluable, but it was also around a time where I was talking about the different investing alternatives. And it said, you know, you might come to a point where you have to self-invest. And I was at that point where I was like, do I throw more money into it to get, you know? And so anyway, that was a, that's a really great book though. I think for anybody who's, you know, hoping to get some resources from this, I would, I recommend that hands down. Well, this was an awesome conversation and a lot of, lot of great takeaways for entrepreneurs that we'll, uh, we'll be covering here in a second. But thank you for your time, your, your honesty, your vulnerability. And uh, this was a great conversation. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Good luck to all your listeners. All right, we're back. Post game. I love post game. These are nuggets. These are things we take away from the episode that we just want to highlight and share with you. You want me to go first? You ask me that every time, and every time I say yes. <laughs> I'm going to go, you We're know, like 25 episodes into this. <laughs> well, you want me to go you, first this time? Even if you said no, I'd still go first. I'd still oh. blurt out uh, my You know what my favorite thing you do is? What? I, I called you out on this the other day. Oh, I asked so, him a question. So, so what do you do? So we're on Zoom calls. <laughs> and so Joe, after you know talking, will say, now... I'm curious what Tom thinks of this. Tom, what do you think about blah, blah, blah? And then he'll say, because you know what I think is, so I never actually get the answer to the question. So here's a, here's a bonus tip. If you have a business partner and you want them to be able to answer a question, ask the question and then shut the hell up. So, you know, you live and learn. Um, and you've lived for a long time. <laughs> and... Now I've added another thing that I know. So now you're going to start doing it on purpose. Yes, exactly. So God, uh, I'm going to go first. Is that okay? okay? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I had another good one this week that I was waiting what? to work in. What did I say? Oh, I remember. We were talking. I'm waiting to use this line, too. You teed me up so good. Uh, so we tell the story of, you know, really how Growth Tense started because we were doing in-person peer learning groups with entrepreneurs here in Scottsdale <laughs> in our offices. And then Joe said, you know, and then in March, uh, pandemic hits, we didn't know what to do. So we moved our groups to meet via Zoom. And I interrupted and I said, first thing we did was we went out and we bought Joe a computer <laughs> and taught him how to use it. Uh, and if, if I don't try to charge it with my iPhone cord, we'll be in great shape. He did try to do that. Sorry for another time. I didn't have my second cup of coffee yet. Okay, a couple things. Yes. Um, Elena has the kind of confidence that we love. Um, and I think she mentioned, don't tell me I can't do something. Um, I, I think she has that grit. She has that confidence. And again, some of us have gone into our first business, and our first business was a crash and burn experience, or it was a mild success. I've had businesses that have been both of those. I've uh, also built businesses that have netted 
hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in profit. So you go in with a confidence, you go in with that, just that gut tough confidence, don't tell me I can't do something, I know I can do it. So I love that about her. And there was another thing, this is a, a subtlety, she didn't tie her identity too close to her business. And what I mean by that, I'm saying that in my own words, it, it, sometimes we, we tie our identity so close to a business and if that business falters, if it fails, it could be our fault, it could be market conditions, we're crushed. And she never tied her identity, who she was, so closely to the business that she couldn't pick herself up, dust herself off, and go on to bigger and better things. So I really like that. I like that you care a lot, you're intense, we're intense, but we have identities outside of our business. We have families, we have, well, I have a life. You have a, you have a, life. Have a life. Yeah, you have a kid, you have a beautiful wife, you have a life. So we have identities outside of our business. Um, the last thing I thought was interesting, and this is something we, we teach, something that Elena learned, and I know she now shares with other people that she mentors. You have to begin with the end in mind. And she did not start this business with a clear vision of where she wanted to take it. And so there was a, a price to be paid for that. So you must begin with the end in mind. The end can change, but you must begin with an end in mind. Well, that's one of the things that I had written down too was, you know, you know she said most people don't have a written plan. It, it, I believe that there's a happy medium, right? You, you need to have a strategy. So the idea of no written plan, no game plan, no blueprint, no playbook for what you're trying to do, that scares me. But the other thing on the opposite end of the spectrum is when entrepreneurs are, oh, I've got a 15-year business plan. Do you want to see my projections <laughs> in uh, 2033? Uh, you're, you're just putting numbers on yeah. a spreadsheet, you know? And so I think you can over plan and, and just really waste your time. So, you know, loose strategy, review it regularly. There's a happy I mean, not even be alive in 15 years. That's why we yes, don't will. <laughs> I'd like to see you using your Peloton board. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I yeah. don't like the shoes. I, I don't like the shoes, and I use my Peloton uh, every month that ends in H. <sighs> All right, what else do we have here? So um, having the right runway, got to have enough money, got to know what your bird is. Uh, important lesson for all of us. Um, another, uh, you know, thing, and again, common sense, but important. Customers appreciate authenticity and honesty, and hit them with the truth. You know, at all stages, whether you're brand new, getting started, or you're a successful billion-dollar brand, people just want you to be authentic and real and truthful with them. Um, and I think sometimes uh, people forget that, or they're afraid of it, or they want to or they portray make themselves as perfect. Yeah, or they or they make up. Don't make stuff. up stuff. That's exactly right. Um, I like that she went for a run before her pitch, getting that mental clarity. You know, sometimes it's good to just clear your head and figure out a way to do that. Uh, good book recommendation: The J Curve Startup. I have not yeah. read that, so um, if you're a, a entrepreneurial book nerd. Uh, that's probably a good one. I'll, I'll get that on audio. I have an Audible subscription, so I listen to a lot of these things, and I like doing that. I won't read them, but I listen to them. I like real books, and I have like a yellow highlighter and then a yellow pad. I like that stuff. I'm old school. And now there's 1,200 books in your garage because of that. <laughs> Tell so, me about it. Um, good, good stuff here. Yeah. You, know, I, I, you know, again, listening to your customers, um, critical. 
right? I think sometimes in the midst of all these things, we forget. We got to listen to our customers. We got to have a partnership with our customers. We got to shoot our customers straight. You know, we need to almost look at them as an extension of our business and partners versus uh, the people that we're doing these, you know, transactions with. And I love uh, I love Elena's uh, zeal and interest in taking some of those lessons and helping other people, mentoring other people, and pouring into other people. That that's, that's a very very cool quality. Last one I have, and I and I think this is a really important one too. Um, is your market big enough? And I think sometimes, you know, we, we like niches. There's riches and niches, obviously. But the market can't be so small that there is no market. Right. Um, and then the other piece of this is, are they buying long enough? And if you're in the recurring revenue subscription business, which so many of us are now, whether it's software or it's services or it's fractional work, right? So many of us have decided we're going to charge a little each month versus a lot one time. And so when you're in that business, you have to look at it and say, how long is this customer going to be with us? Because in Elena's case, it's not going to be a 15-year relationship. It's impossible. So even if you hit a home run, even if you're perfect, there's a start date and an end date in that business. So I think you know if you're going to be in the recurring revenue subscription business, which we love, we recommend, we've helped people pivot to that in their existing businesses, but if you're going to do that, really look at the longevity. The lifetime value. Yeah, lifetime value. Make sure that that's someone that, if you deliver, will be with you for years. You know, is there something you can create that someone could use for the next 10 years? Because many of us can, but we need to make sure we do that. And if the answer is, oh, if I hit a home run and over-deliver and they love me, they're going to be with me for 18 months or 24 months. Because if you're having that kind of churn, I'd argue you really don't have a subscription business. You're more in the transactional business. They're just paying you incrementally over a six or 12 month period. You might as well ask for a large lump sum up front if that's the case. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Great episode. Ton of lessons. We love Elena. She's great. All right. So we will see you next time. Oh, by the way, grab a book. It's called Entrepreneurial Landmines, our new book. We wrote it together. Great book. We're trying to give it away. Outsidethetank.com. It's free. Go sign up. We'll send you a copy, PDF. We'll send you something you can dump into your Kindle. We'll send you an audio version. Send it all to you. So if you're an entrepreneur and you want to join a peer group, you want to find like-minded people to share best practices, learn best practices, get input and feedback on your greatest challenges, join a Growth 10 tribe, growththenumber10.com. Yeah. And you can always just find us, Tom at growth10.com, Joe at growth10.com. We're very easy people people to find. And you usually get a pretty quick response rate because if we're awake, we're in front of that damn computer. So that's true. <laughs> all right. We'll see you next week on an all-new episode of Outside the Tank.